Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Priority Status by JPR. I'm Tanya Scalisi, Senior Vice President and part of JPR's New York City office. Joining me today is Gordy Megro, author of National Geographic's travel book, A Hundred Slopes of a Lifetime. Based in Colorado, Gordy is a contributing editor for Outside Magazine. He is also a regular contributor to Men's Journal, Bloomberg Businessweek, Wired, and Ski, where he writes investigative pieces as well as profiles of athletes, companies, and places. Gordy shares an illustrated guide to 100 great ski and snowboard trails throughout the world. He was born and raised in Vermont, skiing since a young age. When not at his desk, he can be found skiing, mountain biking, or exploring Colorado. We're excited to hear more today about the book and Gordy's insights on the upcoming ski season. With that, we will jump right in. Hi, Gordy. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. This book is said to be the world's ultimate ski and snowboard guide around the world, filled with beautiful National Geographic photography, wisdom from some of the great experts in skiing and snowboarding, need-to-know travel information. It's definitely going to be known as a great resource for skiers and snowboarders of different levels. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in skiing and snowboarding and take on this role? Yeah, well, as you said, I was born in southern Vermont and grew up skiing there. I started skiing when I was about two and a half years old between my father's legs at Stratton Mountain. I grew up about 10 minutes from three different ski areas, Bromley, Magic, and Stratton. And Stratton was uh, the ski area where my family skied. So I skied uh, just with my friends and family until I was about eight years old, I guess, and then started the junior ski racing program and went to the ski racing academy at Stratton, the Stratton Mountain School, and continued to ski race through college. And then actually was a ski coach for a little while before getting my master's in journalism at Emerson College in Boston. And then uh, got an internship at Outside Magazine out of grad school. And that's how I ended up here. That's awesome. So really being able to marry those two passions of of journalism and skiing. Yeah, I was lucky. I mean, I think Outside was a natural fit. It was the one magazine that I really would read cover to cover each month, even as a kid. I mean, I remember, you know, the first story that really resonated with me when I was, I guess, a teenager was John Krakauer's A story about Chris McCandless that ended up becoming uh, the book uh, Into the Wild. That was the first one that I read that really stuck with me. And then when I got into journalism, Outside was one of the magazines that I really wanted to go work for. So I was lucky to get that internship. And then I worked really hard and parlayed that into a, a staff job. And I've been lucky to write for that magazine for a long time. That's awesome. We love Outside Magazine here at JPR. Then in the last couple of years, I think it was even pre-pandemic that you had gotten involved with writing this book. National Geographic came to me in, uh, I want to say February 2020. And that was uh, a month or so before the pandemic. And I said, yes. And as it turned out, it was like the perfect project to work on during the pandemic because magazines weren't churning out a ton of material other than magazines like The Atlantic, which was doing incredible COVID reporting. But the space that I mainly work in was taking a lot of stories in-house and we couldn't travel to go report stories. So this was a, a perfect project for me. 
to just sit at my desk and call a lot of people. And, you know, I've worked on ski stories for so long that I have this huge network of skiers and snowboarders that I can call on and ask them what their favorite trails all over the world are. So it was a, a good project to just uh, do that and listen to their stories and come up with this list. You know, it took me about a year. Oh, it took me 10 months to do all the reporting and writing and then um, another couple months of editing. So it was about a year. What I love about that too, Gordy, is that you are a skier, right? By personal hobby and experience. And I know you've skied a, a number of the the runs in this book, but that this is really a compilation of recommendations from experts in skiing and snowboarding around the world. Yes. I wish I could say that I've skied all these trails, but that would take years and years and years and a lot of money, I think, too. But, but yeah, I've skied probably a quarter of them or so. Just through re- uh, doing a lot of ski reporting through the years, I have this huge network of pro skiers and snowboarders and guides and instructors and ski patrol and all sorts of people who have had the opportunity to ski basically everywhere. So it was easy to call on them. It was harder to cut the list down to 100 because they had so many recommendations. Were there any mountains or or locations that a lot of people recommended that sort of were over and over being named to the list based on the people you were speaking with? Yeah, there were the classic answers like um, Japan got a lot of play in this. If you've never skied in Japan, it basically never stops snowing there in the winter. It's really well known for its powder skiing and there's a lot of fun ski areas there. And there's a lot of fun backcountry skiing to be done in Japan too, but we focused on ski areas in the book. You know, places like Chamonix, France were recommended quite a bit. Zermatt in Switzerland, domestically Aspen and Jackson Hole and uh, Stowe, Vermont, everybody chimed in on those too. What are um, maybe some unexpected destinations here, either domestically or internationally, that our listeners should add to their list? There are a few that I would say that most people don't know about. I learned a lot about them while researching the book. There's a mountain in Greece called uh, Silaritis. They do a lot of backcountry skiing there. It's there's it's not a ski area, but you can skin up the mountain and you have these beautiful descents, uh, water all around you, perfect um, corn snow. You know that that perfect granular snow that we like to ski in the spring. Plus, it's just this amazing cultural experience. Iceland was on the list again, and that's more backcountry skiing. The one that I really want to go ski that I would think that not a lot of people know about is Ski Gulmarg in India, which is uh, high in the Himalaya. And uh, it's in the Kandahar region, so it's got this really cool culture. I mean, you are in a conflict zone, so you know you can actually see armed military all around you. But the skiing just sounds unbelievable. I spoke to professional skier Casey Dean about Gulmarg quite a bit because he had filmed a movie there. He said it was one of the coolest ski experiences of his life, um, not just because of the culture, but because the terrain was so fantastic. Big open bowls along this entire ridgeline, you know, several thousand feet of vertical and deep powder snow. And he said just a lot of fun. So those are on my bucket list. Domestically, there are a few ski areas in here. 
you know, I spoke to a somebody from Michigan yesterday who had never heard of Mount Bohemia and Mount Bohemia is in Michigan. And Mount Bohemia is, uh, several pro skiers described it to me as sort of like having these rocky mountain type features, but being in the Midwest and it's right on Lake Superior. So it gets great lake effect snow. So they have a lot of snow, usually have a lot of snow and uh, you can ski powder there and you can ski all these crazy lines and features like cliff drops and waterfalls and all sorts of things. So that was another one. And then in Utah, um, my parents actually live uh, in the winter near a, a ski area called Powder Mountain, which, you know, despite getting more and more play each year, it's still kind of sleepy and it's kind of a throwback ski area. You know, you go there and it's the infrastructure is still sort of like it w- might have been in the 19, I don't know, 70s or something. It's not a lot going on and some slow chair lifts and it's uh, growing a little bit now, but it's still probably one of the lesser known ski areas out there. Awesome. So the way this book is laid out, it breaks it up by destination. There's a, a slopes by country resource and most of the chapters sort of go in order of experience, right? So intermediate, advanced, expert. What do you think experienced skiers will be surprised to see in here? Probably a lot of experts know most of the the runs that we're talking about in the expert section. You know, there's everything from the ski trails at Lake Louise, which are super difficult to ski to, um, you know, Rosa Couture in Russia, where they held the Olympics. There's some really incredible skiing there. Ted Ligeti told me that one of the trails that he skied before he raced, it was like, you know, skiing out of a helicopter. That could be one that that a lot of experts haven't gone to. For the most part, people who, are, who know a lot about skiing will look at this book and say, yeah, I know that trail and I've always wanted to ski it. And maybe this will give them the inspiration to actually go do that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the visuals are incredible, obviously, with the sort of National Geographic photography there. And I I do love that, you know, in each of these sections, too, there are different sidebars, you know, whether it's about an opera ski or a place to stay or sort of a, if you've done it this way, here's another way to try type thing. So I think that's probably really interesting for people as well, or, you know, how to be culturally immersed, perhaps, in the destination. I love that there's those other sort of travel nuggets that people can look to as well if they do, you know, plan a trip from what they read here. Yeah, it was important for me to get those things in here because to, for me skiing is obviously the most important part of skiing, but when I go to a ski destination, I want to experience everything that that place has to offer, or the very best things that that place has to offer. And, you know, that can either be a, an incredible dining experience or some sort of extracurricular activity like going on a toboggan ride or going to an incredible onsen like in Japan, something else that makes that a special experience. Yeah, I love that. And of course, at JPR, we love everything about travel. So that's just some great added fodder uh, throughout this whole book. Um, You mentioned earlier about the Olympics. And so I wanted to mention as well that Lindsay Vaughn actually wrote the foreword for the book with you, which is really cool and exciting to have such a, a reputable and recognized Olympian be part of this as well. You also mentioned to me earlier, Gordy, that there's been even some former Olympians that you, you know, grew up with at your ski academy. Who are some of the people you've rooted for over the years? 
some of the ski racers that came out of my school um, and snowboarders for that matter, Ross Powers came out of my high school. He was a freshman when I was a senior, but I've known Ross my whole life because we both grew up in South Londonderry, Vermont, and he won the gold medal at the Olympics in Salt Lake City in the half pipe event for snowboarding. I've always loved Ross and I, you know, I still see him when I go back and visit Sophie Caldwell, a Nordic skier who was six in the Olympics uh, a couple years ago, came out of Strat Mountain School. Her, her father was uh, also the head Nordic ski coach. And she actually lives right up the road from me in Basalt now. So that's kind of cool. The ski racing community is pretty tight-knit, so I've gotten to know a lot of great skiers and ski racers over the years. And then I, you know, as a journalist, I've written about a lot of ski racers. I profiled Ted Ligety, I think, three times for three different magazines. I profiled Michaela Schifrin when nobody really knew about her. She was just a, maybe a junior at, or even a sophomore at Burke Mountain Academy. This was before she was even on the U.S. ski team. We did a profile of her for Outside in which we called her the next great American ski racer, which was a, a bold prediction at the time, but seems to have worked out. And Lindsay, yeah, I mean, Lindsay, I profiled probably five or six years ago for Ski Magazine. So we had a um, relationship prior to her writing this forward. When Even when I reached out to her, though, she's so busy, even in her post-ski racing career, that I was sort of 50-50 on whether she would write the forward for this book. And she was happy to do it. She was psyched. She liked the runs in the book, and she thought it was a great project. So she was game. Yeah, it's so cool. I love to see her insights and, and recommendations. You also had mentioned that Burton actually was started in the town or near the town where you grew up. Are there ski or snow brands that you are a big fan of or you think that are, are being really innovative and interesting in the space right now? Yeah, I mean, well, Burton, yeah, that's a, that's kind of a cool story because there's actually a new documentary out about Jake Burton Carpenter who started Burton Snowboards. Yeah, he started it in a barn in Londonderry, Vermont, and um, had his first little shop right in town. I didn't know him that well as I was pretty young when when he was uh, starting the business, but I do remember interviewing him when I was at outside when I was an editor there, and and I called him and he said, "I remember you," which I thought was so cool because that Burton Snowboards was a pretty big deal at that point. I mean, I think all ski companies, and and I know a lot more about ski companies because I'm a skier, but I think all ski and snowboard companies are innovating quite a bit these days. There's some brands out there that I love, like um, Nordica and Blizzard and Rosinol, and they're probably a lot of the same brands that most people go to when they're shopping for skis and ski boots and bindings and things like that. I wish I could speak more to snowboarding, but I'm not a snowboarder. I had to really lean on snowboarders to put this list together to make sure that they were well represented. Well, I appreciate that as a snowboarder. Um, I'm a beginner snowboarder for 10 years is what I like to say. I don't do it often enough to get very much better, but you know, I can, I can get down the mountain without falling now, which is, I think, a win. Where would you suggest I start in this book? What would be a good place for me? You mean a specific destination? Yes. If I were to pick one place in here. I think any of these places in the uh, beginning of the book, in the, in the intermediate section, 
are good really for any beginner ski or snowboarder. Um, there's a couple great groom trails right off the bat that are easy to ski or snowboard and, you know, have incredible views and sunshine, which I, I think a nice day is always important for a beginner because <laughs> if you're trying to learn on a, you know, sort of miserable day, it can really affect your perception of the sport. But, um, you know, Ridge Run at Heavenly Mountain in, in uh, mm -hmm. California on South Lake Tahoe is a beautiful long run that goes from the top of the mountain down to the uh, the middle of the mountain. And it's not particularly steep and it's always groomed and it's got this, you know, it's nice and wide. So that's, that's a great trail. I think um, certainly see forever at Telluride, okay. which is again, another nice long run from the top to the bottom. And there's a uh, great restaurant um, that you can stop at about midway down and, you know, have this uh, incredible meal on day beds and it's got sheepskin throws and teak furniture and serves everything from like stuffed pastas to short ribs. And that's a really cool experience as well. I like that. I, I appreciate the the full experience of being on the mountain and then sort of that opera afterward too. So those sound great. How do you think the, the ski season is going to be this year, Gordy? Um, I guess in the U.S. in particular. It's hard to say because it seems like places are opening up a little bit more than uh, last season. Um, I know at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, the tram capacity is going from half capacity last year. The tram holds 100 people. They only allowed 50 on last year, and this year they're going back to full capacity. But I think the ski industry executives are going to pivot when needed. I know that the infection rate in Colorado is way up again. So I think it'll be maybe normal to start and then we might see it, everything go back to the way it was last season. Well, I think what we have going for us on the mountains is being outdoors, being very much sort of an independent sport. So hopefully those listeners who, who love skiing and snowboarding will be able to hit the trails this winter. There's one section in this book, Gordy, I wanted to actually touch on as well. And that's towards the end of the book, there's a section here on protecting our winters. And I thought this was a really great thing to see and to include. And it, it talks about conservation and the climate and how skiers and snowboarders really can be impactful when it comes to that. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in here about protecting our winters and why you included it in the book? As a longtime skier, it's very noticeable to me how um, climate is changing. You know, we have very snowy winters in some places, um, which actually, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what happened to climate change? I thought there was climate change. Well, actually, the scientists will tell you that a lot of snow in places where it didn't normally snow as much is, is an indication of climate change you sort of go through these peaks and valleys with uh, weather. And it's not just that. I mean, in other places, we're not seeing snow at all. South America, ski areas are hurting. So in other ways, I see it as a backcountry skier because the um, snowpack is a lot less stable than it used to be. So we're seeing a lot more avalanches. Part of that has to do with more backcountry skiers, but uh, we are seeing less stability in the snowpack. So when I was writing this section, it was important for me to tell people some of the things they can do to uh, hopefully reverse the effects of climate change. Some of those are 
fairly obvious, like drive less and plant trees and and do things to offset carbon emissions. But I think the more important things are to support science and support scientists and also to vote for people who actually believe in climate change and believe and are doing things to try to protect our winters and reverse the effects of climate change. Yeah, it's just, it's such an important conversation when we talk about travel because there's, you know, so many places around the world that are being affected, whether it's getting colder or getting warmer. And we want these places to be around forever and for people to experience them. So we appreciate your effort to spread the word on on the impact and the things that people can do. Yeah. We can um, start to wrap up a little bit, Gordy, but I just wanted to ask you a couple quick questions. We are approaching the holiday season, so I would love to know what is on your holiday wish list. On my holiday wish list, I would like for a normal ski season. <laughs> uh, no, there's a there's a couple pieces of gear. I, I'm pretty fortunate that I have access to a lot of cool stuff. But um, if I were a consumer, there's a new Nordica ski out that is a ski touring ski. So they've taken their the design of the enforcer ski which has been popular for many years now and lighten that up so that you can trek uphill with it a little bit easier that's one product that i would love and then i want things to go back to normal and i want to be able to travel to some of these places that i put in the book engelberg switzerland is a is on my bucket list that's in the book um, there's a trail called laub which is you know descends for four thousand vertical feet and has like a 35 degree pitch and it snows a ton there. So if you get hit it on a powder day, it's like you're just floating forever and ever and ever. Definitely want to try to go to Gulmarg at some point. So travel is always a big thing for, you know, wish lists. If I have the money to do it, that's what I, I like to do. So those would be the main things on my list. I'm the same, always looking for ways to to gift experiences more than things a lot of the time. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Before we wrap up here, Gordy, can you please remind our listeners where, when, and how they can get their own copy of 100 Slopes of a Lifetime? You can buy this book um, wherever books are sold. If you want to buy on Amazon, it's available now for pre-order. The book comes out on the 23rd, so just a few days away. You can also go to my website, gordymegro.com. I have links to buy the book. My social media handles uh, also have links to the books at, uh, and that's at Gordy Megro. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gordy, for chatting all things um, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.